Hej och välkomna till prestationspodden. Jag heter Caroline Orbeli och jag driver den här podden för att sprida kunskap om stress. Men också för att jag vill ta reda på hur lever man i den här världen och mår bra och hur presterar man och mår bra. Jag har ett nyhetsbrev som jag kanske ska döpa om till månadsbrev för att hjälpa mig själv lite. Där skriver jag i alla fall de bästa tipsen från våra gäster och deras klokskaper. Och ja, det får du inte missa. Det kan också vara tips om mina retreats eller kurser jag har skapat eller gästernas böcker som lottas ut. Så vill du ta del av det en gång i månaden? Där, så kan du gå in på carolinnorbeli.com Jag sitter på Yoga Manna och jag har haft några kunder och jag känner mig fortfarande helt centrerad. Alltså, det har ni aldrig hört förut. Jag mår så bra. Och det är på grund av mitt egna retrit som jag har drivit. Jag har varit i Deja, vilket är platsen där jag verkligen hör hemma. Jag har inte varit överallt i världen, men det känns som att jag njuter på cellnivå när jag är där. Men i det här fallet så drev jag det här retritet där vi vandrar fem timmar upp i bergen. Vi yogar varje dag, vi äter hälsosamt. Men även om man gör allt det där och jag driver det här retritet så skulle det kunna vara jobbigt för det är ändå... Tio personer som ska bo ihop och vi, ja, det ska ju göra saker och det ska planeras. Men den här gruppen var så härlig. Den gav så mycket energi. Varje person i den här gruppen var otroligt energigivande. Och jag vet att det är många av dem som lyssnar på podden. Så ta, jag har ju sagt det på retreatet också. Och jag menar det verkligen. Jag är helt påfylld och jag tackar för det. Att jag hade sån tur att det var just du som lyssnar som var på retritet som kom dit. Och jag, 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 nu tar jag hand om min vardag på ett helt nytt sätt. Det var kanske i kombination av att jag satte tema för det här retritet. För er som följer mig på Instagram, Caroline och Billy Coaching, har kanske sett då att Temat för det här fantastiska retreatet var att ta plats. Jag träffar så mycket människor, kvinnor, som inte har förmåga att ta plats. Och det är ingenting vi ska skam för utan vi har inte fått lära oss att ta plats. Vi har inte fått lära oss att ta plats i vår familj. Vi kanske inte har fått lära oss att ta plats gentemot vår Eh, vår man, vi har inte f- kanske fått lära oss att ta plats på jobbet, våga ta plats för när det är någon som är auktoritär. Vi kanske inte har fått lära oss att ta plats nog att andas när det är jobbigt. Eh, så på det här retritet så fick man liksom ta plats med sin personlighet. Inte hela tiden tänka på andra utan se till vad man själv behöver. Och behövde man lämna gruppen så fick man göra det. Och inte, jag sa det återupprepade att lämna gruppen om man behöver. Man behövde inte vara med på allting utan känna att man bara får ro i att andas, att göra det bekvämt för sig själv, att ta maten, eller liksom ta mat, var den första som tar 
middagsmaten. Att inte hela tiden liksom offra sig själv för andra utan tvärtom. Och de, antagligen var det så att de började göra det på ett väldigt fint och naturligt sätt. Och att det speglade sig även till mig att jag också gjorde det. Och därför, typ fjärde dagen, så undrade jag lite så här, är det här ens ett jobb? <laughs> jag brukar faktiskt vara rätt trött. Det brukar vara saker man måste parera. Det brukar vara mycket... Det, alltså jag, jag älskar att göra de här retriten alltid. Men jag menar, ni som jobbar med människor, ni, ni vet ju. Men det var så påfyllande. Det var så otroligt och vi hade det så bra alltså vandringen upp på berget som kan vara ganska tuff ibland var bara helt enkelt vi fick det perfekta vädret yogan var helt underbar, min kropp har verkligen svarat an på den där yogan så faktiskt så ja, det var en påminnelse till mig själv för även om jag förespråkar yoga och meditation har jag på samma sätt som er svårigheter att få in det i vardagen. Men det är någonting jag måste göra. Så att efter det här försnacket så ska jag yoga innan nästa kund kommer. Det är så viktigt för mig att få den här styrkan i magen. Och jag tror det är det för dig som lyssnar också. Att få styrka i kår. Så. Men ja, så jag tänker det. Vad viktigt det är att ha med sig att våga ta plats. Att, eller att öva på att våga ta plats. Ta plats i livet. Eh, att det är något som vi inte har fått med oss. Så att det är någonting vi måste jobba på. Och jag har åtta platser kvar i mitt, på mitt retreat i oktober. 5-8 oktober. Är du intresserad av det kan du gå in på carolinnorbeli.com Följ med, det är helt underbart. Någonting jag tänkte på när jag vandrar runt där i bergen och var där i Soler till exempel, en lilla byn eller i Deja och sådär är att det här äckorhjulet som vi håller på med ja, man kanske kan tycka att jag har ett lite udda liv med prestationspodden och med att jag driver eget så. Men det är ändå någon slags, något slags äckorhjul med barnen och så. Men, men att det är ju bara någon som bluff vi har kommit på att vi måste göra. Man kan faktiskt bara slå sig fri och göra någonting helt annat. Ja, det är, ni kanske, du som lyssnar kanske tycker att ja, det här var inga nyheter. Men för mig var det så tydligt att det fanns massa människor där som levde på, som lever på ett annat sätt än vad vi gör. De har ett långsammare tempo, de är gladare, de, de bryr sig inte så mycket hela tiden om allting. De bryr sig inte om vad grannen tycker eller de bara... Ja, men det kanske de gör, men... Det är inte samma streber, stre, vad heter det? De är inga strebers. Alltså vi, de är den här damen som jag beskrev i något, i något avsnitt tidigare som bara dansar sig fram. 
som bara inte bryr sig om någon annan som njuter av stunden. Alltså det blir ju så tydligt. Det är därför alla älskar att byta miljö och komma till ett annat land där man får vara fri. Och det, så, det kände jag verkligen. Och apropå den där damen, för det pratade jag ju i ett eget avsnitt, så kommer ett eget avsnitt nästa vecka. Jag har oklart om vad jag ska prata om än, men det kommer. Och jag har ju sagt att det ska komma sådär en gång i månaden, men tiden rusar ju. <laughs> så jag har, inte, jag har inte fått plats med det, helt enkelt. Och en annan sak som vi gjorde under retreatet som jag... Kan, som jag kan prata mig varmt om med mina kunder det är att skriva morgondagbok alltså skriva av dig in, liksom, när du vaknar om du har mycket tankar och oro vissa vaknar med mycket tankar och oro att ha en ritual där du bara skriver skriver så mycket du orkar jag är all respekt för er som har små barn och så hinner man inte med det då så tycker jag att man även kan ta den stunden på kvällen skriva av, skriva av sig gör att man lättar, lättar det som oroar en det som gör allting oklart till att skriva ner till att man får en mer klarhet inombord så man lämpar över sig den här ångesten eller stressen i den här lilla boken och en bok som jag väldigt som är så fin också för jag tycker det är viktigt att man känner att man den här, om man ska skapa en sån typ av ritual att man känner att den här ritualen att man gör det med en fin bok som kanske lyfter den lite så är det en kvinna som jag gärna skulle intervjua men hon Eh, väl, eller ja, hon gillar inte att vara så publik men hon heter Sanna Sporong och eh, du kan gå in på www.sporongform.se och hon skriver böcker och de är så fina och snygga och då, där har hon en bok som heter Morgondagboken som är bara helt underbar att använda och man kan ju ha en bok som man vilken bok man vill men, men jag tror att när man ska sätta nya rutiner så är det ju bra att investera lite i den ehm, investera lite i den nya rutinen ja, jag har platser i höst i min coaching. Det vet ni ju redan. Så är ni intresserade av det så borde ni gå in på carolinorbelli.com och signa upp. För jag tror att det kommer, den kommer fyllas upp ganska snabbt. Men jag har ju skapat någonting nytt och ja, någonting spännande i alla fall tycker jag. Och det är en kurs som handlar om att minska stress och minska prestationskrav handlar om att hjälpa dig att hantera dina prestationskrav och din stress. Och den kursen är sex gånger och man ses på onsdag kvällar mellan sju och halv nio. Och mellan varje gång så får man uppgifter att jobba på. Vi kommer ha en Facebookgrupp där man kan dela det man jobbar med om man vill. Man kan också bara jobba helt ensamt och inte vara så delaktiga med de andra. Men jag tror på 
just den här grupp den här gruppgrejen, är det bra att liksom vilja dela med sig för att läka? Och ni, kom, ni som anmäler er kommer även ha tillgång till en coaching session tillsammans med mig. Och upplägget är att vi jobbar med stresshantering och prestationskrav och gränssättning och tankar och tankemönster och compassion och att möta sin inre kritiker och dessutom avsluta då med att skapa en hållbar vision. Och är du intresserad av det så gå in på min ja, mediokra hemsida och signa upp på carolinnorbeli.com och gå in på kurser. I det här avsnittet så har jag intervjuat en fantastisk person. Jag har intervjuat på engelska och på något sätt när jag pratar engelska i podden så är det som att jag... Ja, jag, liksom, jag hittar inte riktigt orden som jag gör på samma... Det jag vill säga är att jag är mycket bättre i verkligheten på att prata engelska än i, i podden. Men alltså, det är svårt. Man har så mycket tankar när någon berättar om sitt liv. Och, så att man vill ju svara an på det på alla sätt. Det är som att hela min kropp vill prata. Men hur som helst. Jag har intervjuat en person som har verkligen gett ett avtryck hos mig hon heter Michelle Baker och eh, varför jag tog kontakt med henne är för att hon är breathwork instruktör eh, och jag är intresserad av det och jag ställde frågan på mitt Instagram och då fick jag svaret från väldigt många att intervjua Michelle Baker eh, ja jag eh, jag ska själv lyssna på det här avsnittet igen. Jag blev väldigt tagen av hennes berättelse. Så lyssna till Michelle Baker. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Prestationspodden, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Uh, I have uh, been looking forward to do this Uh I heard you, you, you for a long time ago, or quite a long time ago, at Hellsfulness Podden. Oh, yes. Such mm. a nice conversation. Mm. And also when I asked my oh, my listeners, um, who do they want to hear to speak about breathwork, it was your name coming up a lot. Oh, <laughs> that's sweet. <laughs> and pretty cool, since uh, as everybody can hear, you're not from Stockholm. No, I am not. Or from you're Sweden not at from all. Sweden. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. So tell me uh, where you're from and who are you? <laughs> who are who you? Am is I? <laughs> I think I'm still trying to discover that too. <laughs> me too. Um, but I. Um, was born in upstate New York, so about three hours north of um, New York City mm-hmm. uh, in the countryside. Um, so quite different from where I live now. I live in Varberg, so I live on um, the west coast of Sweden, right on the ocean. So definitely oh. a different uh, landscape, similar climate, mm-hmm. but different landscape. Mm. So how has it been for you to move here? Uh, it's been bittersweet. I'm very happy to be here. Um, mm-hmm. The first couple of years were a little bit difficult. It was um, surprisingly a little bit of a culture shock to come. Um, oh, yes. I came directly from New York City, so I lived there for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And um, I was ready to leave New York, so I was thinking of actually heading to Colorado, which is a completely different landscape than Sweden for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I met my partner, in Mexico, of all places. And we decided it would be easiest for me to be in Sweden than for him to try to come to the States. Mm. Oh, so how has it been? I mean, uh, as we talked earlier Mm -hmm. about the energy in New York is like, I would be I love New York, but to live there, I think it's too much for me because you sort of have the same thing going on inside of you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a reflection, but uh, so it must it's um, it must be so much more quiet for you. Yeah, it is mm. definitely a lot quieter. Mm. Definitely not as busy. I, I spent um, my twenties in New York, and looking back, I can't imagine spending them anywhere else. I'm super super grateful for those experiences, and mm. I used to say. Um, that I feel like once you get into your, once I got into my thirties, I was like, okay, I survived my twenties. Okay, here Mm. we go. Because every year of my twenties was so vastly different. It was like every year was a 10 year growth spurt. I don't know if it was because I lived in the city and it brought so much with it, but um, it's definitely, yeah, I think 10 years was enough to be there. (laughs) And what is the greatest differences from from 
Um, the energy for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, I don't think there's any city quite like New York, but, um, I'm often asked like what I miss about the States or what I miss about New York or do I miss New York and do I miss the States? Mm-hmm. And I think what I reflect on the most is I miss, um, like the sense of familiarity of, you know, when I'm driving, I know what every sign says, I'm pretty familiar with the culture and I know what to expect from people, you know, for the most mm-hmm. part. Um, but I really, really miss taking myself to dinner at night and just getting to know the person that sits next to you at the bar or uh, taking myself to a coffee shop and striking up a conversation with someone and all of a sudden you're friends. And one of my one of my closest friends for a long time, we lived in the same na- neighborhood in Brooklyn and we were both just starting off as uh, holistic health coaches. And so at the time, I don't, I don't know when this was, it must have been 2013 or so. And we had our business cards. So every coffee shop had a million business cards. And she saw my business card and she emailed me. And she's like, we're in the same neighborhood. We do the same thing. Let's meet for a coffee. And it was like our first date <laughs> as oh, friends. And we became I, such good friends after that. And I, I miss those ways of communicating and connecting. Oh, oh cool. Because we have gone to the same school, IIN. Yes. And yes. it was a very special school for me. And mm-hmm. you changed a lot. So when I went to that school... I needed new friends, sort of, mm. friends with the same interest. So I understand that yeah. that w- was very good for you. Yeah, to meet it's, her. it's helpful mm. to have conversations with someone, um, yeah, who's kind of on the same wavelength or has similar interests. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But, and you were in the fashion business, no? Oh, yes. Uh, my first. Uh, college experience was uh, in San Diego in California and I went to school for fashion design and technology and I spent I think it was about three years maybe three and a half years in California and after school I went on to be a assistant children's wear designer so I designed children's clothes for a little while it was called little bogies and the clothes looked very much like they were little golfers <laughs> it was really mm. cute And then my, uh, at some point, my boss decided to sell her company and shift gears. And that was kind of my, my opening to head back to New York and head to New York City for the first time. Mm-hmm. I was really homesick for the East Coast. The West Coast and the East Coast are so, so different in a lot of, a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I really missed the change of seasons and, you know, the crassness mm-hmm. of the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And how was uh, the fashion business for you? Uh, it was difficult. In, in San Diego, it was a lot different than in New York. In, in New York, it took me about maybe three or four months to land in just an internship. And so that was an unpaid internship. And I worked within a very small business And I did the business backing. So I worked with the people who were doing the sewing and the pattern making and all that and the fabric sourcing and things like that. And I really, really wanted to write. I wanted to be in the, I wanted to work with the magazines. I wanted to work with styling and it took a long time to get there. And once I did, I really crashed. And 
I don't know what the industry is like now. This was around 2007, 2008. Mm. So it was, it's a tough industry to get into. In I really, what way did you crash? Uh, well, I had my first anxiety attack. Mm. Um, and it was, I was a assistant stylist for a pretty well-known company and they gave me a set of earrings to keep track of. And it was mm. the only, uh, creation of these earrings no other ones existed and and they were quite expensive and I thought I left my bag somewhere so I thought I I don't know I left my bag on the subway I couldn't find it anywhere and so I was panicking I was supposed it was the only job I had was to keep track of these earrings and that panic led to an anxiety attack and I remember calling the lady who was a lead stylist and you know she was upset and I ended up finding the earrings so it was no big deal afterwards but I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't believe I was having an anxiety attack over losing something material, like a pair of earrings. It wasn't that big of a deal, you know. So that really sent a wake-up call in my system of what am I doing? What's exactly. going on here? It was, I never got that awakening because <laughs> I was in advertising. Oh, and okay. I remember I was working as an art director and uh, it was such a pressure doing I mean, not to do wrong. Yes. So you you had so much stress, mm-hmm. about, and I I remember I because of that stress I lost the key to the company I was mm-hmm. working for, oh. and the, the the owner of the company, my boss, he punished me uh, in the way that he didn't give give uh, me a key. Oh. So I had to always wait for him uh, outside. Oof. And I was always first and always la- last one to go. So it was like, hello, come on, give me a key. But it, so you tough. were so, I was also so afraid of doing wrong. And I can't understand how you can have a business like that. I mean, uh, I can sit, uh, see um, my... Uh, Son, he's playing football. Mm. When he's when he is in teams uh, where it's okay to 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 lose and okay to uh, uh, do something wrong, he plays fantastic. Yeah. But when he's in a, a team, when when it's like you have to do right, you have to be good, you, we can't lose this, then he he freezes. Yeah. And he freezes in the same way as my customers freezes when they go to uh, to their jobs or mm-hmm. whatever. Oh. Well, if there's no room for failure, there's like much less room for success. You can't have oh. one without the other. It's impossible. Mm. You know. Mm. So what so um, what happened with you there? You got your first uh, panic attack. And yeah, and for for a while when I was in the fashion industry, I um, a lot of my ways to deal with my anxiety or my stress or even with depression was to be in the kitchen. Um, so I, I come from a background of uh, eating disorders. So my relationship with food hasn't always been incredibly healthy mm-hmm. um, until I started going to the gym and just realizing that my body needed more. And so I would yeah, be in the kitchen. I'd be making all my food. So my control went from not eating to controlling everything I ate. So, you know, for better or worse, it was at least mm-hmm. I was eating food and consuming. 
Um, but that also helped me with my anxiety within the fashion industry or within my work in general. Um, and at some point, the partner that I had at the time suggested that I go to culinary school. His, uh, his sister, I think, had just gone to culinary school or she was in it. And that might be where the idea came from. And yeah, I enrolled. I'm kind of a yes person. <laughs> mm. If someone suggests something, I, you know, I listen for that gut response. And if something really resonates, I just go for it. And yeah, so I decided to en- drop out of the fashion industry and I enrolled into culinary school. Another tough. Another very tough industry. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Especially to be um, a woman within that industry in New York City. It was tough. Mm. I have uh, met a few people working in in that industry. Of course, I know many, but uh, yeah. uh, and it's, it kept. Sometimes it's very a lot of pressure. It seems like yeah, a lot of pressure mm. again to do right to serve the customers. Like oh. to not, uh, you know, we had this term when you eighty six something. When you eighty six something, that means there's no no more of it. It's off the menu for the night. And if you don't get that right on track, if you don't like totally keep on track of how much food you've got or what's going on or uh, you fire something or like you put something into the pan at the exact moment it's needed so it goes out when it's hot. It was a Michelin star restaurant, so everything was very, very, very particular. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that must be very scary. Yeah, but also beautiful. I learned so mm. much about food and I learned so much about the back end of the of the industry and being a cook in a restaurant and the energy that goes into your food and how that affects the whole restaurant experience and mm. you know I, I'm never I've never been um, yeah I dine out differently now I have so much respect for everything that's going on before the food even gets in front of me. Oh, that so that's is really fantastic. changed my experience. And um, how did your um panic attack continue or what happened i don't i don't know if i had more it was i think it was more of an anxiety attack than a panic attack and i i'm not sure i had more i've had really intense moments of anxiety and and i still do and i get really anxious before i talk like things like this so i try to tap into some techniques that help just soothe my system a little bit more and But yeah, I mean, I ended up leaving the restaurant industry because it was too much. I actually asked for a raise because what I was making was very, uh, the the waiters and the bartenders and everyone made so much more than the chefs did or the cooks did. And so I asked for a raise and my chef was amazing. It was her, she was um, a prominent female chef in the industry And she came back to me and she's like, I'm so sorry. It's not anything I can control, but we can give you a 25 cent raise. And it was just like a stab in the heart. And I was like, oh, like I'm working so hard. You work like 80 hour work weeks (laughs) and uh, the kitchen becomes your family, you know? Mm. So I decided to leave and I went on to be a private chef for a couple of different families. And even that that was enjoyable, but stressful. Mm. It was a lot more creative I didn't have to just make what, you know, the restaurant wanted us to make. I could get more creative in the menus and that was a lot of fun. Um, But that's when I went on to study at IIN and to learn a little bit more about nutrition and include that within the private chef sessions and and so on. Mm. What year was that? That was 2012. 
So mm-hmm. 10 years ago, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when did you go to IAN? Uh, I did that five years ago. Five years ago. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So I think when I started, it was just as they were going online. I think before then, they oh. still had classes in person. And then okay, once okay. a year or twice a year, they would do these big gatherings. Um, yeah, one of the convention centers. Where you'd come did you to go see there? Yeah, it was fun. You'd come to see all wow. these different speakers and so on and meet wow. other people who graduated. Because so it it's really, like uh, for, the, uh, for the listeners, it's like... Um, Bernstein, Gabriela Bernstein, mm-hmm. she's a teacher, yeah. uh, Deepak Chopra, mm-hmm. uh, oh, and many more. Yeah, many more. <laughs> it's and I don't even know if um, she was, I don't know if Gabby Bernstein was even teaching at that point mm-hmm. for them. But I went to New York. (laughs) (laughs) I'm quite, uh, I didn't know. uh, I went to New York when I was studying at IAN, but I didn't really understand if it was a a digital school or if there was a school in New York. So I went to visit and it was like, hello, no, this is not just. (laughs) Yeah, I I think a long time ago it was. I don't even know if they still do those like convention things where they bring everyone together, mm-hmm. but I, I think it went fully online now. Uh, I think, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, the world went online the past couple of years. Um, and uh, so you started your a new career when you went to IAN or what happened? Yeah, it was a really slow shift. So um, right before I started going to IAN, I went, during that time, I was in a really difficult relationship for about eight years, kind of on and off, a little bit toxic, a little bit addictive, a little of everything, you know, late teens, mm. young 20s, um, tough relationship. So when I was going to IIN, uh, I was working with a coach. I don't know if they still do it. They set you up with a coach. At the time, it was yeah. a one-on-one. You had one, a yes. coach one-on-one. Yes, we coached yeah, okay. we, 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 we met up and uh, had sessions. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my first experience ever working with someone in like a therapeutic setting or a coaching setting ever. And it was so empowering. I, I love my coach. Her name is uh, Jessica and she's still coaching to this day, I'm pretty sure. And she, we were working on strengthening me because I had these moments. I had a, a, a real like literal down on my knees moment of why can't I leave this relationship? I knew it was so toxic. I knew it wasn't good for me. I had friends that I lost during it because they knew as well, but I just, I just couldn't leave. It felt so addictive. And I remember talking with her and something she asked me about, like, what makes you feel strong? And I told her that, you know, I had severe asthma growing up and I was always told that I couldn't run because I'd have an asthma attack or something along those lines. And she said, you know, my, I hadn't had an asthma attack in a really long time. And she encouraged me to start running or, you know, finding a buddy to run with. And I did uh, a good friend of mine, Sarah Quinn, and I started running along the, uh, along the, the highway in New York, uh-huh. the Hudson highway. And I really felt so strong. Like my lungs felt strong. My body felt strong. You know, I could only run a little bit at a time before I really wanted to puke. <laughs> but uh, I really could feel my body get so much stronger. And I think that really rippled into me being able to leave this relationship. 
Oh, and that yes. was really incredible. And that is where everything really started. So it was, mm. yeah, summer of 2012. I left yeah. that. I started going to bhakti yoga, which was a beautiful experience. I found my, uh, a teacher that I still love to this day. Her name is Pepper Monroe. And going to her classes really helped me as well. And that was kind of my holistic health experience in the yoga world and movement and breath and all those things. So you started to get curious. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I'm often asked what brought me into these different things, like what made me want to study nutrition or coaching or what made me want to go into a, a yoga class. And I don't really know what brings me into things. I think it's suggestion or someone mentions it or conversation or I see it somewhere. But I know with yoga in particular, it was heartache, it was heartbreak. And I, I really needed to find something to help me. Mm. Yeah. So he yeah. sort of helped you. Yeah, for sure. Now. I see it like mm. that now. Mm. <laughs> it took me a while to see it like that then. And mm. I remember about a year later we met up and um, he was going through his own healing process. And you know, I remember so specifically, I was working at a cafe at the time in Tribeca, one of my favorite jobs to this day. And I was sitting, we were sitting on a curb on the side of the road. And he, he said to me, like, have you, you know, have you forgiven me? Have you had a chance to forgive me? And it was so interesting because I remember thinking, like, of course, like, I, I think I forgave you the day I left, but I still haven't forgiven myself for being in that mm -hmm. situation for so long and staying in it when I knew it wasn't good for me. And that, like, that healing process took a very long time. So seeing him in a different light, you know, took a little time, but it was probably the easier process of it all than it was to see myself in a different light or to build that internal forgiveness. Oh, um, but he definitely, he definitely helped me push me into this direction that I'm in now for sure. Yeah. Sometimes the, uh, I mean, you don't understand when you're in a bad situation and yeah. It pushes you to something very good. Mm. Yeah. But it's a good advice, I think, for people who are in that same uh, relationship to start to do something which is very good for you, mm -hmm. uh, like you did with the running, yeah. to start empowering you because you are so broken uh, yeah. and you need to do something new, I think, or to get to look at the situation in, uh, from another angle. Yeah, a different oh. perspective. And mm. sometimes all it takes is for someone to ask you, like, what makes you feel strong or, mm. you know, or even the mm. opposite, like, where do you feel weak? And I felt weak in relationship. I've not only relationship with this person, but relationship with myself. I didn't know who I was or what I could do, or what I was capable of. And I think that's kind of what landed me in that position. Yeah. And, and I think it's really important to talk about, too, a conversation I've had with a friend recently of, you know, sharing that story with her and telling her, I, I know what it feels like to be in something and, you know, have these conversations of why can't I just leave? And I think a lot of people have that situation or have been in that situation. And like, I felt so stupid. I felt so, I don't know. I, I, I just couldn't understand with all the information I knew 
why I couldn't just like gather the strength to go. Um, so I think it's important to have that conversation too, so you don't feel so alone. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, where did your or does your anxious? What do you say? It anxious. Yeah, when I'm anxious. Yeah. A very difficult yes. <laughs> word, but anyway, why why do you have those feelings? The anxious feelings. Uh, um, I'm not. I mean, I'm not told. I'm sure they come from a variety of different things. Mm. Um, I think my anxiety that comes up before I speak, or when eyes are directed on me, or when I'm, I'm meant to deliver. Oh. Is I, I'm so afraid of not meeting someone's expectation. Oh, me too. And uh, yeah. a teacher of mine said this so beautifully the other day. Her name's Allie, and I reference her quite often. She said, you know, when you're in this room of 10 people, we're in a group mentorship, and there's, you know, 10 of us there and plus herself. And she says, all of you have a different expectation of me. All of you have a different view of me. You know, I might remind you of someone. My voice might remind you of someone. You might have heard me say this one thing before, and that might have given you something that you, you know, you think about me or you expect from me. And then she says, you know, I have my own expectation of myself, and I can't meet the expectation of the 11 of us. It's so impossible to do. And that really kind of relaxed something in me that I'm, I'm never going to meet the expectation that someone has of me. I mean, I can barely meet the expectation I have of myself. I think it's that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. the, uh, your own expectations, which is very difficult to meet. Yeah, mm. and I think in the wellness world, at least in my you know perception of it, a lot of us are, can be seen as like experts in the field. And by no means am I an expert of anything Mm -hmm. I do. I just, you know, I try my best to stay well-studied and well-informed and feed that curious brain. Um, But since I was a kid, I've I've always wanted to be seen as someone who was smart or wise or intelligent. I remember my dad always, I loved to read. And I read pretty fast, so I don't know how much I actually absorbed. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But he would always be like, "Oh, you're such a smart kid. You read so fast, and you know, always uh, called me smart or intelligent, or mm-hmm. and I never felt like that inside. So I always felt like I had to live up to that. And you know, he always meant it in a in a really sweet and loving way. But since it, a part of me internally never felt like that, I always felt like an expectation I had to live up to, and I wanted I to make understand. him proud. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's where anxiety comes up too, of like. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I, um, yeah, mm, don't I say something understand. correctly or get the science wrong or, yeah. Oh, I understand. Uh, um, the pressure from parents. Mm. Uh, um, we haven't talked about your asthma. When yeah. did you, that started? I had pretty severe asthma when I was a child. I was actually talking with my mom about it the other day. I don't remember a lot from my childhood, and I know I'm not alone in that. <laughs> a lot of us don't. Nope. And, but I was asking her the other day, actually after our conversation, when my asthma came up, and it was when I was around seven. So it was a few months before my grandmother passed away. 
And my grandmother was a nurse. So a lot of my mom's Mm. side are nurses and pharmacists and so on. And I was having a lot of breathing issues. And my mom can remember so specifically one night that she said I, it was always worse at night. And so she'd always prop me up with pillows in bed. She said I would have these really dark circles under my eyes. And that's how she always knew I was having trouble breathing. And then she'd prop me up in bed. And I don't know how she worded it, but she said that one one of those nights I worded it along the lines of like, I felt like I was dying. Like I really just couldn't breathe well. And I was seven, uh, six or seven. And my grandmother thought I had asthma at the time. And so they, you know, they brought me to the doctor and I was eventually diagnosed with asthma. And a lot of it, it was affected by um, the weather. If it was too humid or too cold um, or too hot and it was affected by different animals, different cats and dogs and things like that. Um, and so most nights or a lot of nights I would be hooked up to what we call a nebulizer. I don't know if it's the same in Sweden, but there was a little steroid uh, you'd put into this tube and it would move steam through it. So it was like you're um, holding onto this hose in your mouth and it was moving the steroid through your body um, via steam. And I remember like the first few moments it was like, oh, I could really feel my lungs open up and I could really feel myself take a deep breath. And it was, yeah, it was like new life. For how long did that continue? I mean, how many years did you have asthma or I don't know how asthma? many years it was so severe for. I mean, I had a nebulizer always with me. I remember it was like this orange container, like this orange mm-hmm. um, machine I had it even up until like my early twenties. I remember having it in my, uh, in my closet in New York city with always a couple of these little packets of medicine in case I ever needed it. And then I always had an inhaler on me just in case. Um, but I don't remember it, it did fade out over time. I remember being in high school and whenever we had these exercises where we had to run a mile or something, it was always like me and a couple other kids who had asthma that would always walk the track instead of run. So you always felt a little bit like an oddball. Um, <laughs> so I remember it was definitely through asthma or through high school. And my uncle had boxers, these the dogs. Mm-hmm. And every time I went there, I needed my inhaler. So it was something about the dander of the um, of the boxers. And that was up into my early 20s. So mm-hmm. it was always just kind of affected by animals. But I don't remember the last time I used a nebulizer or an inhaler. It's been a very long time. And uh, what did, I mean, that time with asthma mm-hmm. uh, as a little, what did that teach you? I'm, hard times often teach you something. Oh, man. I mean, probably a lot more than I know, <laughs> mm. um, especially as a seven-year-old. But I don't know. I remember... I don't know if this relates, but I don't know why this is coming to mind right now, but I'll share it anyway. But I remember I was really, really close with my grandmother when I was little. She always babysat me. Mm. I was super connected. This is my mom's mom, my mother's mm. mother. And I remember, yeah, like I said, I was diagnosed with asthma maybe a few months before she died. And I remember so vividly the moment my dad was sitting on the couch And it was the first time I ever saw him emotional, like him moving, like crying. And so he had me and my mom had my sister who was a couple of years older than me. 
Sorry, you might hear my dog in the background. Um, And he explained to me that my grandmother had passed away, that she would no longer be around. And I knew things were happening because they would drop us off at our brother's house. And my brother is like 12 years older than me. So he would babysit him and his girlfriends would babysit us. And Mm -hmm. so I knew something was happening because my parents kept going to the hospital and things like that. And I remember when he was telling me and he was so emotional and I remember not crying. My mom tells me I never cried and never mourned her death or never cried when they told us. And she was pretty shocked by that. And I don't know if it was because I saw my dad be emotional and I felt like I had a hold for him, but I so vividly remember like asking, what does that mean? Like, where did she go? And I think it was my mom that said that she went to heaven or Irish Catholic. So we believed mm-hmm. in heaven and, uh, you know, I didn't know what that mean. And she, oh, she'll live forever in heaven. And that to me felt so scary that you mm-hmm. could live forever somewhere, but wasn't really <laughs> like the death that was scary. Even if I think about it too much to this day, it gets me a little freaked out. Uh, I wasn't so scared of death, but I was so scared of afterwards you live forever. Like, what is that experience? That sounds scary. <laughs> like no end to something. And so that was really, I don't know, all of that was very interesting for me. Cool. But it, oh. it was years later that I actually mourned her death and it was through a breathwork experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. You told me earlier on. Uh, we have that in common. Yeah. Uh, I, I should be very close to our grandmothers. Mm. It is both of your grandmothers or your mom's mom? Uh, no, um, my father. Oh, both of my grandmothers, mm. but my, my father's mother is. Well, she is dead, but we okay. we are very close. Yeah. <laughs> we Do you still feel a connection close. to her today? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. for sure. Neiman, when I I called um, for a cat, I called the. We were about to buy a cat, mm-hmm. and um, her cat's name was Frallan okay. when she was uh, living. Cute. And uh, uh, I just called, and um, they said, "Well, well, we have one cat left, but only." Uh, so you know, the cat's name is Frallan. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I was like, okay, <laughs> and that was like one year after she died, uh-huh. and it's uh, it's uh, she keeps. Uh, I keep. I, I don't know if it is that I want to see her still. Mm-hmm. She was. Uh, we were so alike, yeah. but but also different but she was um working with um prisoners in um and uh, she helped them to find a job oh wow and, and that is like coaching yeah <laughs> sort of. mm-hmm. uh, so the we, our brains are were very alike mm-hmm. and so it's uh, i miss her a lot but back i feel like to that your, was my grandmother too i feel like uh, she was the only one that really understood me oh uh, you know? That is the same. Yeah. We could look at each other and we knew. Yeah. Uh, and it was so nice to mm-hmm. have a person like that. Mm. Definitely. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. So, um, talking about breathing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you get into breath work? Um, well, I was introduced to different styles of breath work when I started practicing yoga in, mm. yeah, around 2012, 2013 or so. Or sorry, did I interrupt something here? We started to talk about, uh, you were in, you were talking about your grandmother mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. then I start to talk about mine but did I interrupt so now when I, I interview so, in English you I, um, you actually asked me what asthma taught me yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I went yeah. into the conversation of my grandmother um, oh. and I don't know how that relates to what asthma has taught me <laughs> maybe as an adult I can understand a little bit more of you know just like the, how important it is to be able to breathe Mm. And how it really can affect your body in so many ways. Um, just not even the breathwork technique that I teach a lot, which is that active breathwork technique, but just to like to have good breath hygiene affects every aspect of your body, your mental bit, like your um, mental state, your physicality, everything. Um, so as I understand that as an adult now, I'm sure asthma kind of played a role in that somehow, but my whole family has, has had lungs diseases in one way or another. So it's been a very mm. interesting, uh, karma for lack of a better word. I understand. So when was your first meeting with <laughs> breath work? Yeah. So with breathwork practices like pranayama practices mm-hmm. it was back in 2012 and just doing some practices within a yoga class like nadi shodhana alternate nostril breathing or diaphragmatic breathing where you're really just filling up the belly um and then it was in 2015 we had one of our teachers in our yoga teacher training was a kundalini teacher and so she taught us some different kundalini kriyas i think they're called Mm-hmm. And that uses a lot of different breath practices. And I felt so empowered after that, those classes. It felt so, so good to mm. really use my lungs and like stress my body in that way. Oh, it's um, fantastic. And so I really fell in love with that. 
And so I continued to find different breath practices throughout. But a couple of months later, I was actually invited by a friend to do a Reiki course. And it was one of those moments where I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Mm. And before the course, I had to go have a Reiki session with someone. And through Instagram, through the beauty of social media, I found a woman named Erin Telford. And she was working just south of Midtown Manhattan at the time. And I went to her for a Reiki session and she went on to be my acupuncturist as well. So she was really the one that introduced me to a lot of things, Reiki, acupuncture, and eventually breath work. And she had studied for a while with David Elliott, who's also my breathwork teacher for this active technique. Is he famous for his breathwork uh, knowledge or? Um, I think he's pretty humble. So I don't imagine <laughs> he would um, say, say that, that he's famous, <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's but, very well known for this oh, breathwork I, technique. Because I heard the, the name uh, passing. Yeah. Oh. So he, he's pretty well known for this particular technique. Um, and he's written a couple of books on the breath and so on too. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, we were, I was doing, um, Reiki sessions and acupuncture sessions with her. And this might've been in the beginning of her practice with inviting breath work with her clients. And she recommended I go to a group breath work class just with some things that we had talked about and some of the anxiety I was experiencing and, you know, bits of depression. And yeah, she, couldn't really explain much about it, but she said, you know, come in for the group experience at the time though, you know, individual sessions were more expensive than I could afford. So the group experience was a little bit more affordable. Yeah. So I decided to go and it was a very wild experience in so many ways. It was in this beautiful space that no longer is there, but it was called Maha Rose in Greenpoint in Brooklyn. Yeah. It was just a wild experience in and of itself cool oh and what did you experience the class itself there was probably 40 of us there and we started in a circle she explained a little bit to us not a whole lot and there's a lot of physical experiences and emotional experiences i didn't really expect she might have explained it and i just kind of was in my head and not listening um, but uh yeah she took us through a meditation and we all laid down almost hand in hand. It was a very small space and we just laid out blankets and everyone just sprawled out on the, on the ground. And she brought us through this breath technique. And as we were breathing, you know, I felt a little bit lightheaded at first and somebody next to me started crying. Somebody like, you know, on the other side of the room started laughing. And I was like, what is going on? I was like, this is, you know, I was a little bit apprehensive. I was like, you know, I trusted her completely. And she came over and she put these rocks in my hands, these little stones in my hands. And I felt so grounded and I just knew she was there and I knew she'd take care of me if anything were to happen. And so I just kind of surrendered to the breath and I surrendered to the practice and my body, my physical body had all these responses of my hands got a little bit tight. My toes got tight. My mouth got tight. And, you know, somebody next to me started laughing and I just couldn't stop laughing. And I remember like thinking about it, like, this is so weird, you know, just trying to analyze it. Like, I just couldn't stop laughing and it felt so good. And it felt like I could breathe more when I was laughing. And then I started bawling. I started just sobbing. And even that, like, it didn't feel scary. It was just Natural. so interesting. Mm. And then eventually, uh, we went into this rest phase and she had this wonderful music. She had like 
Prince Purple Rain was playing and all these different songs to kind of help you move through emotion. And I remember going into the rest phase and I was a chef at the time and my hands were like little claws and I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to cut a vegetable again. Because <laughs> um, they got stiff so they got by really the breathing. Stiff. Yeah, ah. it could happen in this type of breath work ah. sometimes. Cool. And uh, ah. yeah, laying there in that rest phase, it was like total bliss. Mm. It felt like I was both so heavily grounded and floating at the same time. And I remember feeling this feeling of nothing matters. Like, it's no big deal. Everything's okay. Mm. Like, no sense of anxiety or depression or worry. And it was, I felt like the first time in my life I ever felt like that. Of like, everything's okay. And and it makes me emotional just thinking about it now. Just that feeling that you get. And I knew right away that the experience I had that was going to shift the whole dynamic of the work that I did. Mm. I wasn't totally sure how, but I knew I was going to go on to teach this practice. And it took me several years to do, maybe three years before I went on to do a training. Um, But the breath continued to make a huge impact in my life. And I remember going through a breath practice and that's kind of where I found out that I never mourned my grandmother passing. Mm. Um, I was actually really angry at her for passing. And a lot of that came in the breathwork practice, followed by a really big cry. But, um, but yeah, the breath has given me a lot of tools. Beautiful. Oh. And now you are a breathwork teacher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you, how long did it take before you start to study or became a a breathwork teacher? Um, I went to study with David in, I think, spring 2018. Yeah, almost almost exactly four years ago. He came to Italy and he was doing like a week-long training. And Mm -hmm. so I went there with my closest friend, Alex, and studied with him. And for me... If I wait to teach something, I might never teach it. (laughs) So it was like I, um, my teacher, Pepper, who was my yoga teacher, who I mentioned, she also did the breathwork training. So I set up private sessions with her virtually um, to come back to after the training just to kind of keep me in it. And so I would do sessions with her. And then I think a month later, I had my first group breathwork session and where I was bringing other people in. And I had a couple of private sessions with friends to see what it felt like to bring them through the sessions. So I started teaching almost directly afterwards. I tried one of your uh, sessions or through through the computer. But uh, for me, it was like uh, you created a piece of art. It was Mm -hmm. not just a, it was not just a session where I, was breathing it was also a piece of art that I want to do it again though because those weeks now has been so much for me mentally because of this retreat because it's like top on having customers having um, prestationspod and and going (laughs) to Mallorca and two kids and (laughs) and the husband who so so went away for this week uh, for a week Uh, but so I will do it again and uh, but uh, it was 
I mean, you are... I mean, it was uh, like magic for me. Mm. Uh, it, was a, uh, it was a fantastic. Everyone should try it. <laughs> did you feel any shifts in your body? Like, did you feel a difference before and after at mm. all? Uh, I had um, another... Uh, I interviewed a person called Anders Olsson. Uh, he was oh, talking about him. breathing through the nose. Yes, and important. then I had a, uh, I talked to you about breathing and then I did your breath work session. And um, for me, it has shifted a lot. Uh, I have uh, started start to breathe through my nose now and I, I have um, been... Um, watching myself during the days how I breathe uh, and uh, also uh, when I know that I have to sort of achieve and uh, I I really try to think about my breathing because even when I meet a customer it, it could happen that I that I uh, what do you say close my breathing yeah like hold and, your breath a little bit hold my breath yeah. because and I teach others to, I to mean, I get think it. about <laughs> <laughs> I we're all uh, together <laughs> uh, so so it has been like a start for me and I'm so interested to continue this and I will uh, come to your breath work classes and I will um ah explore this because mm-hmm. i feel i am quite sure and i have said that for so many years that uh, we wouldn't have a lot of, so many diagnoses i think if we taught um uh, children to breed yeah i mean because we we forget how to breed when we're in bad situations when we're in tense families mm-hmm. where there are uh, the, the um, we we stop our breathing and that is so ah uh, it is uh, dangerous or <laughs> dangerous but it's it's not good for us in the in the long run no it's not and i can feel that i i need to learn how to breathe even more yeah and how that affects you know your nervous system mm. and how it affects yeah your mental state so quickly mm. i mean even your mm. emotional state you can notice um if you start to run like irritation or frustration or anything like that through your body mm. you'll start to feel like the breath gets really short and shallow and if you start yeah. to run like joy or happiness or relief it's almost like the lungs fill so the mm-hmm. breath alone and changing the way you breathe, it's like quite literally has an, an, an effect on the emotional state, which will have an effect on the mental state, which will have an effect on the nervous system, which will have an effect on how we respond in the world. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's, oh, it's so, so cool. integrated. And I notice when I drive... Uh, drive my car <laughs> that I don't breathe. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, I'm sorry to say, everyone who's <laughs> meeting me. <laughs> but we do the same with email. There's been this study now like called email apnea, oh, where people are doing their emails and they're holding oh. their breath. Mm. Of, you know, and I'm the same. Mm. When I do uh, Instagram, uh, yes. when I, I'm uh, on social media, it's like... <gasps> Because yes. is there is a customer complaining or <laughs> whatever? Yeah. Uh, I was telling someone... a friend the other day they should instead of all these you know ads that come through, it should be just like yeah. ads that say breathe, breathe. Uh, 
exactly you know like little Breathe. that could Don't at least be helpful your if you're going to keep social yeah. media give us something to work with you know yeah. give us some reminders mm. Yes, because we don't know what happens in the long run when you don't breathe properly during the days. Yeah. Or during the and also when when you don't breathe during the days, you don't breathe during the nights. Exactly. I think uh, you more exactly. More, you know, uh, and both, yeah, one affects the other so much because, and also, um, I didn't listen to your conversation that you had with Anders. Anders, mm-hmm. um, but fantastic. You know, we can really see that with with sleep apnea too, or when you're sleeping. If you're not, when you're breathing in and out of your nose, it's uh, parasympathetic nervous system. So that's the mm-hmm. restful side of the nervous system. If we're going to break it up like that, it's a very uh, complex system. That's a simple way of explaining it. And if we're breathing in and out of the mouth, we're accessing the uh, sympathetic nervous system. You know, the more active style, the one that makes us a little bit more alert. So if we're sleeping at night with an open mouth, we're activating our sympathetic nervous system so it makes us a little bit more alert so if we can really learn to breathe in and out of our nose especially when we're sleeping it could change the whole rest of the day um how long is a session breathwork session um it can be i always say at least seven minutes the Mm. first and this particular style of breathwork this active Mm. style um Mm. there's many different styles of breathwork but with this more active style that i that i often teach I usually say anywhere around seven minutes at least because that'll get you over that um, resistance phase or through that resistance phase. Um, my teacher describes it as moving from like the masculine side of the brain to the feminine side of the brain. Um, to me, it's almost like a shift of being in the head to being in the body. And that usually happens around the six, seven minute mark or so. So I usually suggest at least that much time. And then you really don't need any more than 30 minutes. I think my mm. group sessions and the one-on-one sessions are usually between 20, 25, 26 minutes of active breath work, followed by a, a rest of some kind. Because that's uh, one thing. you, I think to get that into your schedule, uh, also you, uh, you are taught that you have to meditate and then you go out running and then... <laughs> oh exercising and don't forget to build muscles uh, yes, the list is on and on uh, uh, <laughs> the full time job so, uh, mm. <laughs> uh, that, that's but with good. this practice Half I mean you could do three minutes you could do one minute Yeah. You know, one of my yeah. teachers once said close your eyes open your eyes you've just meditated mm. you know, oh. we, we complicate mm. things so much we analyze things so much So even if you just set your timer for 30 seconds and do any kind of breath exercise, put your hands on your belly and breathe, do this three-part exercise if you want to. It doesn't have to be complicated. And now you have like 200 or maybe more students or what do you call it? No. Like uh, to students? Oh uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. More for, uh. for Reiki. I've taught for Reiki. For breath work, I don't know how many students I have. Um, <laughs> but uh, with Reiki, I teach practitioners and I've almost, yeah, I think like over the past five years, somewhere around 300 Reiki students. Wow. Um, so it's a lot, a lot to work with there. Um, Men, and tell us a little bit about Reiki. Uh, <laughs> Oh, that is quite so hard. complicated. <laughs> I think I was, I, I often joke and people have heard me say this numerous times that everything I do within, you know, this field with the, it's the breath work or the Reiki, it's like a 
describing it to someone is like describing a fruit you've never tasted. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't have the experience of it, it's so hard to grasp. But um, kind of in a nutshell, Reiki is a healing modality. It has its roots in uh, Japan. So Where has breathwork uh, roots? Breathwork usually has its roots in India. So this particular mm. practice, I think David's been teaching for like 25, 30 years. And it's mm. something that his teacher taught him. Mm. And there's a long story about it. But um, almost every single breath practice can be is thousands of years old. Mm. And even Wim Hof, I think he teaches what's called TUMO breathwork, T-U-M-M-O. Mm. Um, and that's it. You can see a lot of it in the really ancient texts. Mm. Yeah. I don't know what the name of this one would be. David doesn't even have a name for it. He just calls it breathwork or breathwork healing. You might hear it as. And uh, back to Reiki. <laughs> um, so oh, for for the listeners who doesn't know what Reiki is, what is it? Yeah, complicated. <laughs> um, but it's mostly a hands-on technique. Some people work mm. with the energy body or some people work with distant Reiki. Um, but it's mostly a hands-on technique that works to help soothe the nervous system. Um, yeah, it was kind of... Um, so Reiki itself usually will translate to um, spiritually guided life force or universally guided life force. And depending on who you ask, Reiki also translates into um, a cold breeze. So there's a lot of different definitions of Reiki. Um There's a, a man named Dr. Usui, or some people call him Usui-sensei or Makao Usui, who created what's called Reiki Ryoho or Reiki therapy. So I think Reiki gets a little bit confused because we only call it Reiki rather than calling it Reiki therapy. So Reiki itself is ancient. It's like life force. It's like the breath. Um, and Dr. Usui created a way to kind of use this life force, use this energy. I usually compare it to the breath in a sense that no one created the breath, but people have created breath practices. No one created Reiki, but people have created ways to work with Reiki and they call it therapy. Um, and it's mostly a hands-on practice that helps the body land into a state of, um, yeah, kind of like harmony or homeostasis or uh, the parasympathetic side of the nervous system so that the body can begin to heal itself mm. or restore itself. Uh, I don't know about breath work, but it, Reiki, uh, I, I mean, it feels like the society has, hasn't has really opened up for that people can uh, sometimes feel it's like, what is that, humbug uh, or... Yeah, there's a uh, word for it in Swedish. What is it? I think it's an F. Flummi. Flummi, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I learned that word really fast when I moved here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I yeah, I think it's it. opening a lot more. I started teaching Reiki, I don't know, maybe like six months after I moved here. And mm. uh, yeah, it's very, a little bit seen as hocus pocus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's more so in the Western world. In the Eastern world, it's, you know, it's, it's of course we can work with energy. Yes. Why, why wouldn't we be able to? We are energy. Everything's energy. Of course, on a daily basis, we're working with that, whether we're working with something like the breath, whether we're working with yeah, visualization or anything. We're always working with energy. Have you, what kind of experience do you get when you work as a Reiki practi- 
practitioner. Uh, do some people see colors? Yeah. And what do you? Yeah. So how is it's it changed you? over the years? Yeah. Mm. But so when you're working with Reiki, it's kind of like going into a deep state of meditation. I usually say for me, Reiki is a state. It's not something that you do. It's a state that you go into kind of mm. like how you go into the state of meditation. And so when that happens, usually you are, have a lot um, easier access to your intuition and intuition shows up in a different ways to for everyone. It speaks differently for everyone. For me, it sometimes speaks differently depending on the client of how information might come through or how um, their body wants to communicate with me, mm. whether it's their energetic body, their physical body, their spiritual body, um, I'm in communication with that during a Reiki session. Mm. And so for me, that can show up uh, in my body. So I can get mm. an ache somewhere or I can get like um, a throbbing somewhere or a pain somewhere. And that'll show me where um, maybe to place my hands during a Reiki session or it'll show me like what in their body is trying to balance or heal or harmonize itself. So it's just giving me some information about what's what the Reiki is helping with. But I don't see colors. I get so envious of people who see colors. <laughs> because I, I think it's so beautiful. I don't see colors either. Yeah. But um, now people will think I'm flummy as well. <laughs> but I have I've done, learned to accept as, it. <laughs> I, I have done the first uh, what is step of uh, yeah, Reiki healing. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I had my hands on... Uh, another um, student and um, I get like information about yeah. her and her husband. So how does so, that come for you? Is it like a knowing? Is it? It's a knowing. Yeah. It's like the same knowing as I get when I uh, uh, coach, coach yes. people. Yeah. I get like information, mm -hmm. but I don't know really how, but it was very uh, uh, clear for me when I did it at this um, uh, education. Now I start yeah. to get tired in my head. It's no, like yeah, we training, have done this sure. over. Uh, uh. Yeah. And uh, I held, had my hands. I didn't know her at all. I met her like an hour or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hmm, she has problem with her husband. And hmm, she doesn't get enough room in her uh, relationship. Mm -hmm. And then I told... Uh, my teacher asked me to tell what I felt yeah. when I had my hand. So I told her it open like <laughs> to her. <laughs> and later on, she came to me like, wow, you were spot on. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, and the strange things with, thing with me is that I, I coach, uh, but I haven't continued with my Reiki Perhaps because it is flumit. I'm in the sure. I'm 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 in the both. Uh, it's like I have my feet in in two different worlds. Yeah. Like I don't know really where where I'm standing. So perhaps it would be good if I go in and get flumi hundred percent. Go for it. Because <laughs> <laughs> now it's realize, so confusing. I should tell like, my students if it's uh, if. If, um, like a lot of students are a little bit nervous that someone's going to think they're like that. Mm. And it's like, well, what do you think about it? Like, what's your experience with Flamig? Like, what do you mm. think of yourself? What do you think of Reiki? And it's always that, you mm. know, bringing it back to self-reflection, exactly. but it's just at some point it just doesn't really matter. 
goes Man. back to that expectation of like, I'm never going to meet anyone's expectation of me. You know? exactly. So I just got to work on what it is that I feel. But I also have a foot in both worlds. I love oh, the yeah. science. I, I love the energetics of it. Um, I noticed that. But it, it's mm. complicated. It is. It is. I've never wanted it's to be seen as a spiritual teacher. Nee. Nobody wants to call nee. me that, and I almost threw up. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but I, as I told you in our first conversation, I like to go for your Reiki course uh, number two yeah. in this autumn. More than To welcome. step into the flummy, fl- the flummy word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I hear and a lot that once, um, like going into Reiki level two, I've heard this from students, kind of helps the Reiki practice land. Oh. There's so much information to learn about Reiki. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, you know, another step can kind of just land things a little bit deeper. Yeah. I think I would need that as personally. And then to meet other people who do it. I think, again, coming back to that sense of community, talking with others who do yeah. it, because then you feel less alone or I feel less alone. Mm. It's such a beautiful community. Exactly. And it's not, it's, I mean, it's the same thing as if I or whoever goes into room with a lot of people, you can feel, oh, oh. Here it's here is there is someone who is angry. I mean, totally. so it's not so strange that I can feel uh, her. Uh, no, it's whatever. not strange at all. It's bodies mm-hmm. communicating. We do it all the time. We communicate all the time without words, mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And you can even feel this when you're thinking of someone and they call you, right? Or I mean, we have this incredible technology that you are on, I are on, mm-hmm. where you're in Stockholm, I'm in Varberg, and somehow we're meeting right through the satellites or however it's happening you know exactly. but energy is you know works in a very similar way yeah. it's just it's hard yeah. for harder for the brain i think more so for the western brain to comprehend that it can happen exactly oh this is very strange that we can see each other uh, I mean, recording yeah, <laughs> podcast oh i have a lot more to ask you about i mean it, uh, i love this uh, conversation with yeah. you and i will probably contact you again and you can that. tell us more about what you're doing breathwork and all your thoughts uh, it has been very interesting uh, for me Oh, very nice to speak with you too. Thank you. And if uh, they want to get con- in contact with you, where should they? Is it your web? Yeah, the website sure. has everything up to date more than anywhere else. So it's just michellebaker.co.co. And then Instagram, you know, it's always mm. a landing spot. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, website is always the most updated. Oh, that's just good. <laughs> Are you doing that yourself? Yes. Well, I have somebody who um, actually, when I start, I'm going to start with her in June, and she's going to. I'm going to have a whole new website with some oh. other things happening. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I, I update everything myself. Thank you. Have a nice day, and uh, ah, see you in uh, this autumn. Yeah, hopefully in September. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for a lovely conversation. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. till alla er som lyssnar alltså jag är så tacksam för varenda person och vill du hjälpa mig att sprida podden så får du gärna skriva på Instagram när du tycker att det var bra jag förstår om ni inte vill göra något inlägg eller sådär men jag, jag blir glad för bara lite annars kan ni gå in på podcastrappen lämna en recension Eh, lämna fem stjärnor <laughs> så då kommer, kommer andra att hitta eller så skriver ni bara skriv vad ni tycker om podden hur har den hjälpt er då blir jag superglad så nästa vecka så blir det eget avsnitt för dig som tycker det är kul och för dig som inte kan vänta till veckan efter ha det bra, hej hej